0: selected passages from 1st Samuel chapter 4 this morning. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped near Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in a line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, All Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the philistines and there has also been a great defeat among the people your two sons also hophni and phinehas are dead and the ark of god has been captured as soon as he mentioned the ark of god eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy He had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured.
1: Thank you, Terry. Good morning. It's quite a story, isn't it? I was uh, in Boston a while back with with uh, Corey Freeze and Jackson Kramer. and We went to went to a pastor's conference there. And while we were there, we thought, hey, the Red Sox are playing. Let's go see if we can uh, catch a game. And so we went down to the stadium, and we were able to get a few tickets, and, and we went to the Red Sox game, and sitting along the, the first baseline, and, and behind us were some young men, and, and we got engaged in a conversation with them. They asked us what we were doing here in town, and so we shared, we're at a pastor's conference. We're pastors uh, who like baseball. And... Uh, and so we got engaged in this, this wonderful conversation, and it became a very theological conversation with these young men. And as we started to hear about their lives and what they were all about, uh, basically they had developed a theology that they were good people, and they were good enough, and they were trying to live good lives. And so the question was asked, Well, what about sin? What about your sin? How do you deal with that? And the response back was this What sin? What sin? Open my eyes to a generation that is living right in the middle of that. What sin? What is it that I'm doing that is sinful? I'm trying to live a good life, I'm trying to be good. And and kind, what sin? That's exactly what's going on in the book of Samuel, as we've been in it. A time that was the time of the judges, with the key phrase that encompassed all of judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Basically, they sinned. And then they said, what sin?" We will do what is right in our own eyes. But the situation is that God created us perfect and in the garden. And we were in his presence. And then ever since the fall of Adam, you and I have a sin problem. And we can't avoid it. We can't deny it. We can't just push it off. We can try, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's true we have a sin problem. But God in his love and grace and in his holiness knows that we have a sin problem and he's going to deal with it and he has dealt with it. God in his love and grace and in his justice deals with sin and he provides for us New Testament Christians provides for us his beautiful son to die on the cross for our sin, to pay the price, to take the burden, to take it all, so that we might have life, so that we can deal with the sin problem, separation from God, holy God, and the way to have relationship with God is through his son, Jesus Christ. We have a sin problem. God's provided a way to deal with the sin problem. But we must take a look, an honest look, at our journey and deal with our sin problem, confessing our hearts before God. God, in his love and grace, wants relationship with us. And so what we see in Samuel is that God broke through his word, his truth, his life, because he wants relationship. God broke through. Remember, the people were building up a wall of sin, brick by brick. And there was this beautiful remnant, his name's Samuel. And God spoke. Hear my word, Samuel. This is who I am. Listen to me. And he spoke into Samuel's life. I want to remind you just a little bit of what we talked about last week. Chapter one or verse one of chapter four says, The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. The word of God poured out. You and I, we are so blessed, sometimes I think we don't realize. We're so blessed that, that we have the Word of God, the Bible as he speaks to us, as he ministers to us, the oracles of God that we can hold to to have life, to know God, to be in relationship with God, to understand the way of life that he has for us, to understand truth. He has given us this word as we speak forth, as he speaks forth to us. Samuel was in the presence of the Lord. Remember, he was by the ark of God. And he heard the voice of the Lord, the word of God. And what was beautiful about Samuel is that he responded in obedience. That's one of the areas we struggle sometimes. We hear the word of God, but we don't respond in obedience. We say, that's nice. But God spoke to Samuel and he responded, even, even in this difficult task, in obedience. You know what his task was? Can you imagine? You finally hear the voice of God. You finally enter in to relationship with the Lord. You're going to be the prophet of God to speak forth this truth. Samuel, here's what I have for you. You're going to go tell Eli that everything is going to be wiped out that there will be death, that everything that I spoke to Eli is about to come true, that there will be consequence and judgment upon Eli and his family and the nation of Israel for their sin against me. What sin? We say, what sin? God is a holy God. And he deals with sin. And there is consequence and there is judgment upon our sin. He has provided his son to pay that price for us. And we have been cleansed, we have been washed. But we need to see in this chapter that we cannot take sin lightly and how it separates us out from God. And how when we just choose to sin and we go, well, it's not that big of a deal how it continues to take us away from the Lord. There's a song by Mercy Me. It's called uh, Slow Fade. And the words go something like this. People don't just crumble in a day. They don't just sin and fall apart in a day. It's a slow fade. When we don't take sin seriously, it becomes a slow fade. We get further and further away from God. And then there's consequence for sin. That's powerful. And God is wanting to draw us back into relationship with him. He's wanting us to repent. He's wanting us to draw near. He's wanting us to to continue to be cleansed, to be washed by him. Samuel responds and he brings forth God's truth. And he brings forth his righteous judgment. In chapter 3, verse 11, it says... The ears of all who would hear this would tingle. The verb the word tingle is, is the idea of crashing symbols that would come together. When these words would be spoken of God's righteous judgment upon Eli and his family and Israel, it would be like symbols coming together with such force that nothing else would be heard but this judgment. Everything will be wiped out, Eli, just like God said. As we enter into chapter 4, the scriptures say the word of Samuel won out everywhere. We praise God. We praise God for his word that continues to go out. But it's interesting, we won't hear from, we won't see and we won't hear about Samuel until chapter 7 now. And I think there's this period here where where Samuel is growing up. I think he's, he's growing in his faith in the Lord. But what we're going to see is we're going to see Israel kind of live out in their sin and live out their own life. And Samuel's kind of put to the side here. The story goes upon the judgment of God and his holiness and his righteousness is going to play out. This is actually a really hard chapter in just the sense that it isn't a Disney story. It doesn't end with this happy ending. It ends with ultimate death and consequence for sin. And I hope for all of us this morning that that through the Holy Spirit that it reminds us we need to, to take an honest look at where we're sinning against God. We need to stop just pretending that it's not a big deal. Or even getting to the place of what sin. Because God wants us to draw in. No pastor really likes to come up here and go, hey, let's all talk about our sin. This isn't a fun chapter of the Bible. But there's good news. There's good news. And that Jesus cleanses us from this. And that Jesus wants that relationship with us. And that he forgives us our sin. The nation of Israel was about to experience a consequence. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Israel goes out to battle against the Philistines. And, And as you read this, you go, And God said, Listen, I want you to go battle against the Philistines. Is God's voice anywhere here? Nope. We have an enemy, and we are, in our own strength, going to go out and fight this battle on our own. We will go and do this battle, and we will go and fight this enemy. God didn't say to go fight the enemy. We're just going to do it. And so they go out in their own strength, and 4,000 men are wiped out that day. Death. Then they come back into camp. Verse 3 says this. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Do you see what the Israelites are doing and the elders are doing here? We just went out and fought this battle and we lost terribly and there's death everywhere. And you know what? It's God's fault. We haven't been anywhere near God for years. But you know what? Since we lost, it's his fault. Do you and I do this? I think we do. We sin, things go poorly, things fall apart, and then we blame God. We do this with our spouses. We sin against our spouse, and then we blame them for the consequence of that. We do it in relationship with each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. I sin, but it's your fault, the outcome of this. And you're going to pay the price. God, it's your fault. And yet they've been nowhere in relationship with God for years and years and years. We blame and we blame and we blame. They do not take a look that they're living... In their own eyes. They're living what is right in their own eyes. And so they blame. They do not own their sin. They don't take a look at themselves and say, Whoa, we have walked away from God. We have sinned against God. And then they try to justify it. Isn't that what we do? Blame others. It's your fault. And here's what happens when we, when we sin and when we walk away from God and when our life is falling apart. Then we start to develop this bad theology. And this is what starts to happen in the camp of Israel. We, we have a false and actually just a bad understanding of God and how he works. Life isn't working out. And since it's not working out, we are going to make it work. And what we're going to do is we are going to actually use God and try to manipulate God so that he'll make it work in our advantage. I've been nowhere near God, but now I'm going to use him and he'll serve my purposes. Verse three and four. Let us go, the elders said, and let us go bring. Basically, the word is take. Let's take the ark. And actually, Hophni and Phinehas are part of this. In bringing the Ark out, you're like, oh my goodness. These priests who have nothing to do with God and who've desecrated his holy place, let us go and take the Ark. Let's just show a picture of the Ark. I just want to remind you of of what the Ark of the Covenant was. Do we have that? Ten Commandments were in here. The cherubim above. And right between the wings, right on top, was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, according to the Israelites, this was the place where God dwelt. His power and His presence. It was holy. It was sacred. It was meant to be given high honor and esteem. And so the Israelites and the elders say, hey, let's just go take this out of the temple and we'll bring it with us. And we'll use it for our victory. And so they go in, and the word is really strong, take. And that word was used of Hophni and Phinehas when they would take the offering, take the sacrifice, and do with it whatever they wanted. They weren't pleasing to God. And so the Israelites say, what sin? Let's just take God, and we'll have them come with us in the battle. You see, when we don't take God seriously, when we don't take God seriously, then we don't take sin seriously. When we don't think we serve a holy God, then you end up going, what's sin? And what's the problem? But here's the truth. We serve a holy God. We serve a God who has given us And in that was the Ten Commandments. That was his relationship. That's how to have life in him. That's what it means to obey him. And they say, let's take it. Holy God. And we're going to use you to lead us into battle. And so they bring the ark. It's going to be basically their lucky charm. That's what they're looking for. It'll be like when Joshua went in to to battle. To take Jericho and the ark of God, and it will be powerful, and we'll have victory like Joshua did. So let's take God with us, and we'll use him so that we have success, so that we have life and victory. You know, what does that look like for us, modern-day Christianity? I think we do this in ways where we... When life is not going well, when the battles, we're losing the battles, when we're, when we're distant from God and yet we still feel like he's supposed to serve us, when we feel defeated in life, we end up going to, well, we've got to figure out a way to have positive Christian living, successful Christian living. And we develop bad theology about the character of God. We have to have a way, and so we'll find a book on how to tell us how to have successful Christian living, to have positive thinking as we walk with God. We'll we'll find something. You know, I was amazed how many of us, you know, myself included, I kind of got caught in this this big wave. I was amazed how how Christian culture got swept up in, in this prayer of Jabez. And how this book swept the nation. Hey, Jabez prayed, expand my boundaries. And so then there was a movement like, hey, pray this prayer that Jabez prayed. Which was really just for Jabez. And if we pray it for 40 days, let's see God expand our boundaries. So that we'll have successful Christian living. And we'll expand our boundaries, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. And we bought into it. There's some principles there about, Lord, I want to be used, and I want you to use the realm around me, and there's things like that. But man, it was this movement like, let's take God and let's pray this prayer. And if we pray this prayer for 40 days, surely, surely God will give us victory in this. It's a bad theology. And I know some of you read that and you're going, Richie, I, I got into that. I, you know what? I did too, a little bit. But as you look at it closer, it's a bad theology. And the context of the prayer of Jabez isn't that. We didn't even know who Jabez was until his book came out. Seven Habits of Godly People. You know what? Churches do it too, don't they? Things are failing. We're going into battle. Yet our numbers are down. Or, you know, we need to develop a program that will just give life to the church. The Word isn't doing its job, and so we need to come up with a, a, some really cool thing. It's a bad theology. Instead of humbly going before God, God, do your work in this church, because it's your church. God, we beg that your spirit would penetrate hearts as the word goes forth, because your word is living and active. Not we're going to take you and we're going to put you in a box and do this nice little program with lots of CDs and, and cool you know, guides on how to revive your church. Bad theology. God becomes our lucky charm. And you know what? We church leaders, we buy into that sometimes. It's like, oh yeah, if I just do this, then our church will be good. And really, we as leaders sin against God that way instead of trusting him for his people. The Israelites kept sinning against God. Now they're taking him as a lucky charm. And it keeps going on. The Philistines, too, have a bad theology. The thing that's interesting about the Philistines in verse 6 is they start to realize, they're like, whoa, there's this powerful God. This is the God that was in Egypt. Egypt. This is the God that that brought the plagues in Egypt. He was the one. And they had this sense of fear, actually, this sense of awe, whoa. We are facing a powerful God. You know what? The Israelites don't even have that. They don't have that. They're like, let's take the ark and he'll be our lucky charm. But the Philistines have it. They have this fear, but they have a bad theology as well. The Philistines' theology is this. Basically, verse 9, Hey, be men. Be strong. We will fight against God by being strong. So be men. Buck up. Here we go. We will fight this battle in our own strength and we will go against God In our own power. And we will determine our path. So let's go and let's fight. What does that look like in today's society? You know, it's interesting. There's been this song I've been hearing over and over again on the radio. And it's a song, really, that says, I will fight God on my own terms. And it's super popular right now. I mean, you can't. I, I was just even at Subway yesterday getting a sandwich, and it's, you know, it's like the number one song out there right now. It's called Heaven. Interesting title. Let me give you some of the words. Basically, surrounding this idea of we will fight against God and we will be men. We'll do it our way. Maybe I should take my time and build this life by my own design with no direction that is in between. Everything I love and everything I need, so bring it back. All I want is understanding. To live my life the way that I planned it wouldn't change a thing. Man, it feels like heaven underneath my feet. So you take the left, I'll take the right. Under arrest, under fire. Everybody got a problem with the way I live. Well, you know what? I don't want to go to heaven if I can't get in. And that's the catch line. I don't want to go to heaven if I can't get in. And here's what he's saying in this song. Hey, you know what, God? If I can't live my life the way I want, and you're setting all these standards for heaven, to heck with you. I don't want to go to heaven if I can't get in. I will fight you on this one. This song is really the number one song out there right now. For you parents, as your teenagers listen to this all the time, you may want to have a conversation. I think it's a good conversation. What is it about this song? What do you think it's getting at? What is it speaking to life? This theology that's coming in. I will live in my own strength. No one is taking a look at sin. No one is drawing in and taking a close look on what's really going on. Especially the Israelites. Romans 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But no one is taking a look at it. And scriptures remind us, the wages of sin is death. But God so loved us, but God so loved us that he sent his son so that we might have life. Because the wages of sin is death. What's sin? Ding, round two. Let's go into battle in our own strength. Let's take our, our little rabbit's foot out, the ark, and let's go fight. Ready? We don't care about sin against God. Here we go. 30,000 wiped out. 30,000, 30,000 Phinehas and Hophni dead. The Ark of the Covenant taken by the Philistines. The wages of sin is death. We serve a holy God. And this chapter reminds us that we serve a holy God who is just in his judgment. But this chapter leaves us at a place of death. It leaves us in a place of emptiness. The Israelites, the scriptures say in verse 10, are slaughtered. That same word is used of the plagues of Egypt. When the plagues of Egypt went out, there was a slaughter. And the term defeated is is used in Exodus for the striking of the Egyptians. You see, God has taken his protective hand and his powerful hand off of Israel, off of Eli and his family. He's removed that. And he's put his hand of righteous judgment upon sin. And you go, Whoa, God, what are you doing? We see in verses 12 and 13 that the city cries out. And then we see when the messenger comes to Eli, what a powerful scene. Eli hears the words. Your sons have died and the ark has been taken. And upon hearing that, what a dramatic scene. He falls backwards because he was heavy and blind. And he falls backwards and he breaks his neck. Death. For the wages of sin is death. That's a hard scene. Eli dies. It gives the image of who he is. He's fat. Basically the indulgence of sin. He bought in and he he just devoured all that his sons led him into as well. Sin had made him fat. And the scriptures say 40 years he judged. Forty years he led his people in a spiritual wilderness. And guess what? Now God judges. And the judgment upon your sin is death. Scriptures speak to this in Psalm 78. The nation is decimated, two dead sons... God's holy throne is held hostage. And here's what the scriptures say. They tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and they did not keep his testimonies. But they turned away and they acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places, and they moved him with jealousy by their idol worship. When God heard he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel, he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. And delivered his power, he allowed himself to be delivered into captivity. His glory to the hand of the foe, to the Philistines. And he gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage on the people of Israel. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. There's a final cry. There's the cry of the city. There's the cry of Eli. And then there's the cry of Phinehas' wife, which is the most powerful cry of the whole chapter. Ichabod! Ichabod. This is the real story of Ichabod. Everything is gone. Utterly gutted. God has taken his hand off. And she cries out, Ichabod. Meaning, where is the glory? Where is the glory? It's gone. When we say, What sin? When we say to heck with you, God, I will do it my way. When we do not take a look at sin, God's hand is off. Where's the glory? And it leaves us in this place of desperation where I think God wants to draw us of we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And the good news is is that we have a loving Savior. We have a loving God who wants us to draw near. He wants us to stop treating him like he's a lucky charm. He wants us to be in relationship with him, holy God. He wants us to deal with our sin so that we can be cleansed. We have been cleansed fully as we've received Jesus Christ. But like he said to Peter, hey, you don't need all of you washed. Your feet. Because I know you get dirty along the way. Sin keeps coming in. We have this world coming against us. God doesn't want to be separated from us. And our loving God has stepped in. So we need to stop blaming others for what's going on. We need to look at our heart." And not harden our heart to the Lord. The scriptures say this in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion. Listen to this. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He still wants us to deal with our sin because it separates us from him. We get further and further away. You know, just Friday and Saturday, all day Friday and Saturday, was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement for the people of Israel. And it's a time they take for for 25 hours where they where they pray and where they fast and where they publicly confess their sin before God, believing that they are cleansed. And we know the true cleansing comes from Jesus Christ. But the people of Israel, the Jewish people, take that day of atonement seriously. People who never come to synagogue flock in to confess before God their sin. I want today to be like that for us. And in your bulletins, under the notes area for the sermon notes, there's a little area there that says, My heart before God. And we're just going to take some time to confess before God. And Adrian's going to come up and just lead us in some music and some worship. And I want you to take time, and you can do several things. You can just be in prayer at your chairs. You may want to come up and take that piece of paper and confess your sin and lay it at the cross. This is the place where God has taken it. This is where he's paid the price. And we need to be reminded there's good news. There's good news. There isn't just death in the camp. But God dealt with that. And we need to come before him. And here's what 1 John says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is our loving God who's given us a loving Savior. And so let's just take this time to be serious about our sin, to confess the Day of Atonement. Let's be right with God. And so come up and pray. Be in your chairs and pray. It's just you and the Lord. Okay?